Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Knife Talks, a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, DIYers, woodworkers, metalworkers. Anybody is taking stuff away and putting it back together. Anybody. Anybody. That's us. I'm Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. With me always is Mareko Momasi, Momasi Fire Arts, and the leader of the pack, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. We're here every week, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget it. Guys, how are you? <laughs> uh, just so for me this past week, uh, I, I've been just kind of getting the the hammer dialed in and cleaned up. The power hammer. Poke- yeah, sorry, the power hammer, the 55-pound and yang I just got. Um I like the thing. It's cool. I'm excited to get it to use, uh, put to use. But getting it, getting the shop ready <laughs> to put it in, I just kind of had to like slam things around and make room. And so the hammer's in, and it's got power, but I can't really use it yet because the shop is a fucking mess now. So I got <laughs> the next steps to clean the shop back up. Are they, are they so power that... hungry? Do you need like three phase or anything like that at all? No, 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 not this. The 55-pound runs on 220, okay. uh, which is single phase. And so, yeah, it's just kind of a plug-and-play situation. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm super stoked on that. Um, I did want to say real quick, the my buddy that I bought the hammer from, uh, Nick or Chris Rowley from NC Knife & Tool, he actually has 165-pound Anyang uh, that he also has for sale because he's moving cross-country. Uh, and he realizes it's cheaper for him to actually just buy new ones um, rather than shipping and storing because it's probably going to be a couple of years before he gets a new uh, gets a shop up and running when he after he gets moved. Uh, so he's looking to offload that hammer. So if you, anybody's interested, send him a message. Again, he's NC Knife and Tools on Instagram. He's a good dude. Uh, he's also a former uh, Forge and Fire competitor. So uh, yeah, nice. How do you do? I don't know, where is he I don't based? Know if that means where is he based? He's actually just like 10 minutes down the road from me. So he's here in Washington okay. State. Yeah. Cool. How did you that, do, that how did a... do on Forge and Fire? I think he won. Nice. I can't, I can't remember the episode exactly. Let's just say I he think... won. Let's just say okay. it. he won. Chris won. Congratulations, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I did want to also, as Blade Show's coming up, uh, I did want to let people know that I got calendars uh, still available. If you get a calendar now, um, I don't know if you, you won't have it in time for Blade Show Texas because that's literally happening today as we're recording Friday. Uh, but for Blade Show Atlanta, 
uh, you can get it and bring it to Blade Show. Walk around. Holly, like some of the makers are going to be there from that from this year as well as obviously past years. Bring your calendars, get them signed. Holly Loftus is going to be there. I'll be there. Uh, Fingal Ferguson will be at Blade Show. A lot of other makers are going to be there who've been in the calendar, and uh, it would. I'm I'm gonna be bringing a copy <laughs> to get signed by people. Get them signed like baseball cards. You got to collect them. Yeah, get them for sure. Nice. Absolutely. So, go check out my uh, my website where you can get the calendar. I also got a link in my bio that'll take you there. Um, and yeah, the support is always appreciated. But I think also getting the supporting those makers and getting them to sign your your calendars is a pretty neat thing. Got to catch yeah. them all. Yeah. If yeah. you if you got the, all of them signed. You put that shit on eBay. People are gonna buy it. I wonder how far. I wonder People how. Buy, you didn't say a price. People I, may buy it. I, I bet. You, I wonder how much a fully signed copy of all the yeah. different makers with all the different signatures. I wonder how much somebody would buy that for. Because it's not easy to do. No, it's not. Well, and a lot of the makers, like there's like Henning Wilkinson down in South Africa, and there are makers from Australia. Uh, Jason Ellard has been featured in Cali. So it's like, how do you get all these people into the calendar, um, and get it, and get them signed? The only place to do that is probably at a show like Blade Show or any of these large conventions, uh, where these makers all come together. And so you you probably won't be able to get everybody to sign it, but you can get a good number of them signed. That'd be a strong um, move. The challenge yeah. is set. Yeah. You, you Bring do... your calendars to the Blade Show and get them signed. You got to probably have to do a couple self-addressed envelope jobbies, you know. Mm. Like oh, some for sure. International shit. So some of them yeah. flea bags ain't coming over here. That's for sure. <laughs> but it would be a fucking good one, man. That would be yeah. awesome. I'd be, I'd be interesting to get. That would be really cool for to sure. have. Craig, yeah. Craig, how's cool. your week been? Cool. Spring has sprung. Um, it's t-shirt weather again, finally. Um, so yeah, it's been nice. We've been doing a lot of stuff, stuff out in the garden, getting the garden ready for ready for summer, which is it still feels a long time away. But um, just nice getting out fresh air. Uh, my wife has been snowed under, so I've been on baby duty, um, and we've been going out and doing sort of like five mile walks each day with the baby. And it's just I don't know, it's oh, really wow. nice. It just feels I say spring has sprung. Everything's exciting. Um, it's good. It's good. Um, I've been speaking to one of our sponsors about something very, very special coming up as well. Um, more to come in the next week or so. But, um, yeah, it's going to be – got something very exciting coming for all you lovely listeners. That's pretty good. In the tier, we like to call it Suns Out, Guns Out. Suns Out, Guns Out. I just, yeah. yeah, I can see Craig walking around with his sleeves rolled up, his uh, guns yeah, out. But, but, but also in the United States, it's – Guns out in general. <laughs> I don't think yeah, they quite true. Fucking oh, sun. They don't give a shit well. about the fucking sun. You kidding yeah. me? All the time, guns out. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What are you nuts? Well, it's just as bad here. I mean, you know, you're not have to carry guns, but there's hunters everywhere, and you hear guns going off all the time. It's a yeah, real pain in the ass. Yeah. Anyway, Jeffrey, what's been going on? Well, it was a uh, it was just kind of a sweet and sour, sorrow, sweet and sour week. Um, hmm. I uh, found out on uh, Tuesday morning, uh, very early, from the family of my teacher Uri Hoffi that he had passed away. Uh, I talk about him on the podcast a lot. He was uh, ripe old age, eighty seven. Can't ask for more than that. He um, he's an interesting guy, and it was very sad. And um, but at the same time, it was very like celebratory. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be his student for a number of years and his assistant. I, don't, I had a different relationship with him than a lot of people because 
I was his student, and then I was also his assistant when he would come to the United States. He would always come to the Center for Mental Arts as a teacher, so I was always the teacher's assistant. So I had kind of a, a lot of different kind of relationships with him, and, and um, you know, he meant a lot to me in terms of philosophy as a blacksmith. He was my first blacksmithing teacher. His style was different than most, and um, he was he was very demanding of his students, um, to a lot of people, he was really kind of standoffish, a little bit more on the arrogant side, but at the same time, he really cared about his students. Um, so I talked to, uh, I talked to a lot of his other students that we, you know, we worked together, John Ledford and I kind of like had a little bit of a conversation and then I was, you know, kind of back and forth with him. And, uh, I talked to Zivik a little bit. Zivik Gottlieb is his like number one student who kind of wrote a really eloquent, um, you know, thoughtful, um, uh, a thoughtful, uh, a th- a thoughtful speech about him. It was really like a eulogy, a eulogy that kind of thing. thoughtful eulogy about him. Um, but uh, look, it was. Um, I was very fortunate enough to have a relationship with him through the years, um, and uh, you know, I, it, it's almost the, the interesting thing is, is you know, he meant so many different things to so many different people, and he was, he was, he was, he knew what he wanted. He he wanted to learn from the basics. And then he also wanted to kind of innovate in his own variation, his own. It's hard to speak. Honestly, you know what? Frankly, it's hard to like be eloquent in regards to to uh, who he was. So I actually had a, I had a little piece from uh, you, the eulogy from uh, Ziva Gottlieb. And, and I feel like it's it's kind of more uh, appropriate. And then I'm, I'm going to bring you down a little bit, but then I'm going to bring you back up, guys. So don't worry about that. So nice. this is from Ziva. He wrote this is a little section. He says, Hoffie. Your deep, resounding voice will forever echo in our ears. You knew how to simplify complex things. You were a phoenix, charismatic, sharp, witty, a performer, tough and soft-hearted alike. You were an innovator, an inventor, thirsty for challenges, challenging other others, a people's person, a teacher, a mentor, pathfinder. You despised ignorance and you fought for justice. You always said what was on your mind and always did as you said. Uh, you lived your life as you chose to, and you ended it in bed the, as you choose to your way. Uh, you've sparked debate and innovated at, t- at times. You've crushed myths and challenged tradition. You've always thought outside the box how to do better, more efficiently, faster. You've touched us all and changed our lives and paved a path for us uh, and gained thousands of admirers. And that's just like a set, small section of it. It was pretty thoughtful. They had a... Uh, they had this beautiful procession. He lives on a kibbutz, uh, which is like a small community in Israel. And they had he had video of uh, Zivik did some video from the they had a they had him a like a horse drawn carriage up that somebody was pulling, mm. and they had his coffin draped with the flag, and there were flowers all over it. And then there he he turned in, you know where they were walking down this beautiful path in, in the kibbutz, and you turn around and there's like hundreds of people walking behind him, and it was really really kind of neat and. You know, I have nothing but fond memories of him, and I have a lot of fucking jokes, which are the fucking best. And and the best part was, the best part about Uri Hoffi was, some people, like, he loved telling, he had street jokes. You guys know what street jokes are. Street jokes are, like, set-up punchline. You know, it's not, like, just being funny. It's, like, set-up punchline. So he, he was the king of these really inappropriate set-up punchline jokes. Um and he would say them at inappropriate times. Like all, like one of them was uh, one of them, my favorite one. And the funny part was, was at the Center for Mental Arts back in the day. They had me kind of taping him with a with a video camera. And there was one point where he starts telling jokes, and I'm just trying to egg him on, and no one else is laughing because they're so outrageous. And it, the funny one of the funny ones was um, 
he, I was up on a ladder and he was uh, kind of doing his jokes and he goes, he goes, and he has, he's spoken, you know, broken, you know, is, I don't know, it's, it's not Israeli, he had an Israeli accent, I guess. And he, he said, uh, the joke was, Why, hey! you know, he would talk like that and he would yell at the students and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And he goes, hey, what, what is the difference between a woman in church and a woman in a bathtub? And no one would say anything because they're just like, you know, and then you'd hear me going, what do they say? And he goes, one has a soul full of hope. The other has a hole full of soap. <laughs> and it was fucking, I mean, it was like shit. And then no one would laugh. But then it was like hilarious. And then me, except for me. And that was encouraging. How would nobody laugh at that? <laughs> because they were fucking, they were they, they weren't expecting they weren't expecting it, and then yeah. some. There were other ones. I, I know I told the other one, but this one. So so as we, he was very big, active on on Facebook. He didn't. He was really he was pre social media, and um, so I would constantly like egg him on to tell more jokes, and he just had him. Like it was. I was like, what else do you have? And I called him my favorite bad comedian, and he liked that and stuff like that, and then. Um, yeah, he says he says I have more jokes, but they are nasty. He's so nasty, but he spelled it N-E-S-T-Y. Nasty. I have many jokes, but they are nasty. So he he sent me this one, and this one's really funny. He goes, he's a fifty. I'll say it in his accent. A fifty-year-old lady came to the, and he wrote this as you know phonetically, so it's it's even hilarious hilarious to read it. Um, a fifty-year-old lady came home to her husband and asked him, "I am pretty," and he said, "Yes." He said, yes. And she says, I read in the paper, there's a new pill that if I take it, I will be as beautiful as I was 25 years ago, 25 years as a 25 year old woman. And he, and he, the husband says, how much is, is the pill? And she says, $5,000. So she, he instantly wrote her a check for $10,000. And when he, when she asked him why he says, I, I want you to disappear from my life. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, it was like he had all these fucking crazy jokes. It, it was really great. So um, I had a pile of them, but, you know, I'm going to save them. I'm going to have Jesse on in, in, in April. And we'll do like a big, you know, deep dive. But one yeah. thing I do want to say, and this is kind of an interesting thing. And I'll, I'll, you know, we can, you know, if you have any questions or you want to talk about it, whatever you want to do, I, I'm fine by me. But the Hoffy hammer was a hammer that he he kind of created the Hoffy hammer and there's it's it's questionable about whether or not he developed the style he was a student of uh, Alfred Haberman who was an awesome uh, Czech uh, blacksmith and he he, he based the Hoffy hammer off of a, a Czech style hammer so the Czech style hammer is it's got a shorter handle it's got a kind of like a the cheeks aren't like puffed in you know they're not smashed in like um, like a Brian Brazil hammer or stuff like that and they're very it's very simple it's got a very a fat peen, cross peen, for lack of a better word. The Hoffy hammer was different because it was it was that way, but he the face was squared off. And the reason why, when I say the face is squared off, a lot of times you'll see guys and then they'll break the corners of the face. And then that fit, that, that corner turns the, the, the square, the, the face, of almost like a small octagon. Mm-hmm. He kept them square because he was using a lot of the hits so if you have a really fat peen, cross peen, you have a wide, you have wider, uh, fullering indentations. But if you're using the hammer and you're hitting on the corner of, with the face, you're getting a different style of peen. So he was really kind of like making the ham- the Hoffy hammer a different style and different technique. And the other thing was, is the way he hung the hammers, he didn't 
you know, usually you you uh, make the hammer handle fit snugly, and then you kind of put a wedge in the top. You split the mm-hmm. handle, and you put a wedge in the top, and then the wedge will kind of hug the hammer. Well, he was he spent seventeen years in like in like the rubber business. Like he was in like a chemical in the chemical and rubber business. He was the blacksmithing for him came later in life. He didn't start blacksmithing until he was fifty. Oh, and wow. he, so yeah, so like if you're if you think you're too old to if you're too old to start something, I mean obviously not. So what he came up with this idea was he was going to he felt like he, hammers were getting were the, they were falling off the heads too easy or they're breaking in the hammer handles. So he spent all this time in this rubber company and he kind of understood the chemical you know composites of rubber and stuff like that. So he what we would do is for the hammer handles he would make them narrow. And then he would put this stuff called Cicaflex, which is like this rubber. It's not silicone. It's like a rubber. It's a rubber that comes in a tube, and you can kind of put it in a caulk gun. Mm-hmm. And he would he would lay the hammer handle on the table, and then he would you know put the hammer handle so it fit exactly in the middle. There was a lot of room in between the hammer and the the eye of the and the hammer. And then he would fill the hammer with. Uh, the, the the inside with the Cicaflex. So the Cicaflex would kind of like fit in between and, and then you would, you know, you'd put it at different stages so it was exactly center of the of, of the eye. And then he let it cure and then you'd carve it off and he had, it created something that was a little bit, give you a little bit more give. Not hmm. like crazy. Would, not, that, would that dampen the hit a bit? Would that sort of... Uh, I, I can't I couldn't tell you frankly and and it was in the beginning stages there were a lot of people who was would say oh that's never gonna work that's never gonna work I have the first Hoffy hammer he gave me or they gave the Center for Metal Arts gave me and I used it hard I used it hard for like I'd say seven years like every day it never fucking came off the hammer heads never came off and the only time a hammer would break is usually students would would hit below the hammer head on a cutoff you know a cutoff hardy or something like that or mm-hmm. miss hit and stuff like that they damage below the handle but it was a really kind of a neat way of 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 looking at it and then you know look it was a great hammer he was a great guy um his he really focused on the ergonomics of you know the blacksmith the current the modern day blacksmith and he questioned a lot of things and really was focused on you know blacksmithing furthering as a you know as a, a craft so I was very fortunate. I spoke to him probably the last time I talked to him was a couple, well, a month and a half ago. He, I didn't talk to him. He was deaf as a doornail and, you know, talk. And that was the other thing I was going to, the thought was I was going to try to get him on a podcast. But the problem is he's so goddamn deaf that it's like impossible to talk with him. And the yeah. other thing is, is because I think that he liked to hear himself more than other people. I think he turned his fucking ear, you know, his goddamn, <laughs> you know, his, his hearing aids off, frankly. And so we were texting a lot together and he and I were going to do a trade. There was a knife he liked of mine. And he was he told he, he referred to me as a very, very good knifer. He didn't know blacksmith. He called me a knifer. He says, You're a very, very good knifer. He sent me uh a, one of his last forged hammers a couple years ago. And three years ago he was in the hospital for a skin condition. Um, and he was texting me at that point. It was three years ago, and he was, you know, we were talking about he wanted me to come over to teach a class, and I said, Listen, just get better. Just, just don't worry about that. You're in a hospital bed, just get out of the you know, get home, get back to your family and, you know, we can talk later. And then about a couple months later, he had had his leg amputated. He was, he had diabetes and he had his mm-hmm. leg amputated. And then they, he figured out a way to you kind know, of keep going back to, um, the shop. So they moved his, they got him a swivel chair and they got it. He could, they moved the, him closer to the power hammers and then they moved the forge close mm-hmm. and he could spin, do everything on one leg in a chair. And he was, you know, he was still pumping out hammers and stuff like that. And then, mm-hmm. 
you know, his wife died a year ago and that was really kind of like, he was really starting to go, but at the same time he was very, um, you know, trying to keep going. And, you know, that was really kind of like, you know, his wife starts to, when his wife died, it was just like, all right, well, we had nice conversations back and forth and he was just very sweet. And, uh, you know, it's sad, but at the same time, I prefer to kind of remember him fondly. And I got a yeah, lot of nice of course, messages yeah. from people and you guys were all very sweet to, to kind of message me and I appreciate it. And, you know, and, and, you know, he'll live, he'll live on through Zivik and, you know, great stories and stuff like that. And, you know, we'll do a little bit more on him and I'll, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep peppering in some jokes from, from him every so often. So I got a few of them. But. It was great to see all the different posts because it was all of a sudden just a, 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 f- a f- tidal wave of posts yeah. about him. And, yeah. and what was, it was bizarre that I even actually saw it because uh, I happened to be scrolling through Facebook that morning and I basically never go through Facebook. Uh, and I saw a post almost immediately uh, from his page and it was his family announcing his passing and all the comments and i was like holy shit um and so yeah i like messaged you immediately yeah um but then going through and seeing everybody's comments and then jumping over the instagram and everybody's posts about him um it was it was clear that he had a a, a strong impact on people and i think like that's that's about as much as you can ask for i mean obviously you gotta you want to take care of your family and stuff like that in in life but you know to have an impact to inspire people to teach people to help people uh even just to discover something about themselves i mean i think that's that's what this 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 short time we have is about and i think that he did a great job obviously doing that and (laughs) hats off to him i think that you know, it's interesting because, like, the Hoffy method is is there's a lot of good you can take it, for as an introductory concept. It's great, and as an introductory teacher, I think he excelled the most as a teacher mm-hmm. because he was teaching more about philosophy, the philosophy of forging, mm-hmm. than it was exactly doing. Because I mean, like, some of the stuff he did, frankly, was you know tchotchke bullshit. You know, there was a lot of like <laughs> little these dorky snails with the fucking tongue hanging out. You know, it's just like you know some of the stuff was like you were all great exercises, sure. and but his teaching style was very, very, was very, very good. Like it was, and but it was kind of difficult too i mean he was he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way i've had i've had experiences two times one guy i told him i was a student of Uri hoffy and his face changed like to the point where he was almost going to throw me out and then the other time was there was a guy who i was talking to and i told him i was a student of Uri hoffy he turned his back and walked away from me oh, wow. so like he was he was either you loved him or you hated him frankly and, and yeah. unfortunately it's you know that's how it is and i think that even with Zivik, who's his number one guy, he was his number one guy to the end. Zivik, unbelievable guy too. He Zivik is going to be a great kind of transition because he's very tight with Abana. He's very tight with a lot of like Bob Menard has him come by, and he, there's a lot of great guys who who, who deal with Zivik. And Zivik's going to like keep the tradition alive, in, as he said, in his own way, which I think that's the way to go. But mm-hmm. I got stories. I got fucking funny stories actually. I, let me tell one more story. Let me tell one more story. So, so, um, so I had him as his, as his teacher, and I was also his assistant. And I left the Center for Metal Arts for a while, and then um, they had me. They needed me back to do a job, and I came back to do a job. Uh, Ed Mack, the owner, the former owner, had passed away, and John Ledford said, "You know, he's like, I can't run this school and run the shop and do it. I need a little help. So, you know, get Fader to come in to help me do this railing. So I came in for like I don't know, probably about two months, you know, three days a week or something like that." 
And it was also right when Ahafi was coming through. So there was a time where Hoffy brought Zivik Gottlieb as his striker and as his, his assistant. And then there was another student of his, Gary Cremines, who's from down from Alabama. So it, this is the same time it, there was an Al, um, Albert Haley uh uh, art installation on Park Avenue with giant sculptures. He was a famous a blacksmith and sculptor, all over all over Park Avenue. And Hoffy said that he wanted to go into the city to see these this this these giant sculpture and you know installations. And everyone was just like you know all these guys they don't want to drive in the city. And then they say to Fader they say hey, Fader you I went to I grew I fucking took my road test in the city. I I learned how to drive in New York City, so I love driving in the city. So they grabbed me and they said. Well, would you drive us into the city? So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll drive you into the city. So it was me in the car, Hoffy in the in the in the front seat, and then John Ledford, Gary Cremines, and uh, Ziva Gottlieb in the back seat. We're talking the back seat. You're talking about like almost 700 pounds of men, 700 <laughs> cramped together, 700 pounds of fucking meat. I mean, these fucking guys were monsters. Like it was like the whole thing. And then Hoffy's in the side. And one of the things about Hoffy would be is he would learn how to sleep. He would sleep between heats sometimes. Like, he could forge all night long, Jesus. and he would sleep between heats. He would say, you would sleep like a soldier, sleep like a soldier, sleep between the heats. So, you know, if you get him in a chair, and he's not, no one's talking to him, he doesn't say anything, he'll fall asleep. But he's up in a, you know. So we're driving along, I turn to the side, and he's out. And I, I grab my flip phone, I took a picture of me um, and him. He, I'm driving, he's sleeping. I started, we started making all these, you know, Weekend at Bernie jokes. You know, Weekend at Bernie is that movie where they prop up the dead guy. And uh, I was just like, I got, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get, and I kept waking him up saying, Mr. Hoffy, you got to wake up there. Police are going to pull me over. They think I killed you or something like that. You know, so we were fucking joking around. We get into the city, New York traffic's going crazy. And, um, he loves, he loved me just start fucking screaming at people and honking the horn and get them all horned. We got out of the car, looked at the sculpture, and he wanted to get back in the car because he wanted to say, I want to see my driver. I want my driver. He kept calling his driver. And then he kept egging me on to cut people off and to scream and to <laughs> honk. And he go, good boy, don't, you let him do that. Don't let him do that to my driver. And he would just fucking start pounding on the dashboard and kind of, urging and then i started driving like a fucking maniac because he loved it so he was losing his fucking money you're my driver it was like he like and it was hilarious so then so then years later this is like less than a year this is probably like january or something no no this is this year this past year now that happened maybe like i easy 10 years ago maybe even closer to 11 years ago so I'm 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 kind of texting back and forth and I and I don't know I was talking to John or talking to somebody and I was like do you remember when we went into the city and um, we were having all that good time and stuff like that and remember when you fell asleep and then all you see is he would text me in 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 all caps and he and he would say I said remember you was you were right next to me he's falling asleep and I wish I had that picture still and he goes I only fell asleep because you drugged my tea. And he just, he, had to meet, he, meet, he remembered the whole thing, but then he, he was like, I only fell asleep because you drugged my tea. So I have a pile of them, good ones. That's funny, funny guy. Yeah. They took him to a strip joint. I'll tell him another. They took, <laughs> Jeez, they took him to a fucking titty bar. <laughs> he fucking loved it. But uh, yeah, he was great. And, and um, you know, I'm gonna, I'd rather celebrate all the funny stories and the good times we had. And, and then uh, I'll leave you guys alone. I said enough, I think. So no problem. Yeah, no problem. rest some of peace. Some of the jokes that you sent that you sent me. Um, yeah, it's the spelling that makes the joke. Oh, a lot of them. <laughs> dude, it yeah. was like he. It was. I, yeah, we want to read you that one. I can read you that one if you want to save it for Penis. another day. Um, 
Yeah, that was a fucking. That was a stutter. There was a stuttering joke. Was it? Yeah, it was stuttering yes. joke. Should I read that? Should I read it or save go it on, for another go one? On, yeah. Um, let me see if I can get <laughs> fucking up. A fellow came to the doctor and said, "I, I am stuttering. What, what, what can I?" Now this is. You think this is? This isn't. He ain't making fun of the stutter. Honestly, it was just part of the joke. I and he's spelling it with a fucking stutter. He says, oh, what, what, "What can we do?" And the doctor says, take your trousers down. And he goes, w- 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 what the hell is his connection to, to this bringing my pants down? And he brought his pants down, and the uh, doctor saw a supersized penis, penis spelled P-I-N-N-A-S, <laughs> and said, this is the reason. We have to cut the size in half. And the man says, okay, said the man. And he comes home and is very happy, and his wife says, you, you don't stutter anymore. And she says, she shouted at him, I don't care that you don't stutter anymore, but I, you need to get your whole size back. You need, I need a whole penis. And he goes, he goes back to the doctor and he goes, he came back to the doctor and the doctor asked him to reverse the operation. And the doctor said, I, I, I can't, it's a, it's a, possible. <laughs> so he fucking sewed it on it. it was, I had a pile of those fucking things. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, brilliant. He's a fucking good dude, That's man. Good He's a good dude. I like that. Yeah. So there you go. Rest in peace, Uri Hoffy. There you go. Yes, definitely. Right. Let's get on with the show. Let's get on with the show show. Okay. Um, let's do some questions, shall we? Um, I'll do the first from... I'll skip that first question. We'll come back to that one in a sec. Um, EDC Gearhouse. I'd love to know if there's a way to add serrations after heat treat. Um, what is the process? Is it 2 by 72 only? Teach me your ways, gents. Mm. Serrations after heat treat. Um, That's the only time I would do it. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the heat, depending on the serrations. Sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need to be super careful because you go in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're taking those in, and obviously it's, you're working. You're working on the very fine edge. So basically, you're taking the edge down to virtually your final cutting edge for your heat treat before you put the serrations in. So yeah, so you just need to be super careful, and obviously a two by seventy two is going to be better than something like a a one by forty eight or whatever, just because of that heat dissipation of you know the the extra size of the abrasive. Um, but yeah, any any special tips, guys? I mean, what do you think, Marco? Yeah, I mean, I, just to add to what you were saying, it, that is exactly the problem of cutting the serrations in um, to, before heat treat is how thin the material is. Uh, at what will become the cutting edge and there there is always going to be some especially well i guess it depends on what your heat treating setup is but if it's a standard kind of in a kiln uh, like most people use uh, quenching in oil um you're there's going to be some carbon loss at the surface which is why after we heat treat then we do heat treat before finish grinding um it also helps yeah whatever anyways so if you cut your serrations in before you go through the heat treat, the material that's left at the edge, uh, if you're only planning on doing just a little bit of polishing or whatever afterward, um, you got to get through whatever decarburized material is there. And so um, that's why I would personally save any kind of serration cutting until after um, after you've gone through the heat treat process. And now maybe you're limited on your tooling. Um and maybe you don't have a grinder, and so you need to do some other process. Um, 
I, you know, diamonds, there are still diamond abrasives and diamond rods and stuff that can help you with cutting those serrations. But yeah, um, yeah, it'd be tricky to do it too early, I think. And I think the move is to do it after. And I, in the past, have used my 2 by 72 inch with the, the small wheel um, holder. I think, what did I do? I think like a three quarter inch or one inch. Um, but the reason is because I'm trying to cut the serrations as shallow as possible. I want the serrations there, at least for like a bread knife. Um, I, I want the serrations there, but I don't want them to be so deep that the, the teeth uh, that actually come into contact with whatever you're cutting or even the cutting board aren't so aggressive that they start just tearing and dragging things around. Or I've actually hurt myself on serrations that were cut too deep rather than serrations that were kind of a little gentler and softer. Um, not as aggressive, but I guess it also depends on the application. Like if it's a folding knife or EDC that has some serrations near the heel, then you probably want those a little bit tighter. And the best way probably to do those would, would be with, um, yeah, with a, uh, like a diamond abrasive file or something like that. Um, but yeah, Jeff, what do you got to add to that? Uh, yeah, definitely do it. One of the reasons why you wouldn't do it before heat treatment is even if the finishing would be really hard, like on those, like the, if you reground it after you heat treated it, yeah. you have the chance to kind of take the, that, those peaks off, um, really quite much easier than you would if it wasn't there. And then you're, you know, you're changing the whole thing. So, yeah. Um, you also want to, and this is something I was talking to Vince about. He was talking, Vince at Broadback, we were talking about using the, the bevel table that they have. And I was saying the one thing is about, um, you when you're using the 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 contact wheel you want to use the whole belt like if you stay on one spot of the mm-hmm. belt there's a very good chance that you're going to just rip through that motherfucker you know you want to get as much of the belt as possible otherwise those serrations can like cut you know that you can end up cutting the that one spot if you imagine sitting on one spot on the yeah. on the, the and you know um I thought you could do <clears throat> the other thing about serrations is based on what you want, you really need to think about the spacing and the size of the contact wheel mm-hmm. because this two different, you know, if the spacing and the, and the, the size are, it's not standard. That's the thing about a lot of bread knife guy, guys just say, well, if you cut some fucking teeth and it's going to tear through the bread, but there's a difference between, you know, something that's going to cut and something that's going to just rip. So, playing with different spacings in between and playing with the different radiuses uh, uh, well, the diameters of your contact wheel is going to make a huge difference in the performance. And in regards to doing it without a contact wheel, you could probably do the same thing if you had a Dremel and you locked a Dremel up into a uh, vice or something like that and then made like a stand mm, sure. and then do the same way to kind of like bump it. Uh, the most important thing is... Um, marking it on on the side that you can see like making marks on the side that you can see and i know deep dive into my uh highlights on fader knives i did a whole thing on how i started doing the serrations and i prefer to do serrations over any other edge frankly it's the easiest from it's the easiest for me i've gotten it down nice but um yeah i mean it's it, it's not that hard i mean it's not that hard we overthink it sometimes i think we overthink it for but. sure mm-hmm. and while we're here i'd be curious what you guys' take is but when i when i've made only a couple bread knives in the past i ground the knife like it was a regular chef's knife and then i cut the serrations in and oh yeah 100 yeah, almost like a carving knife yeah yeah 100 yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I, I just i didn't know if that was your guys' same approach as well or if or or what 
Yeah, absolutely. Because well, I mean, you, the serrations aren't just like jagged teeth. I right. mean, it should be. It's a shallow. It's a shallow. It's much more shallow. And you're going to see that the shallower it is, the more cutting it's going to do, and the less ripping, like a mm-hmm. jigsaw. So I see yeah. sometimes I see guys just kind of like going fucking haul full blast, and then they, and then all of a sudden they got like a you know it's like a it's like a jigsaw. It's a soul, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You want gentle sort of scallops, not instead of a. But Craig, you and I have been talking. We've all been talking about serrations back in the day. You were constantly. We, you and I were talking. I when the first time I was on the podcast, we were talking about mm. how you would do serrations. And the yes. first time I did serrations, which wasn't the worst thing in the world, but at the same time, what I did was I drew a line and then I center punched every I don't know probably eighth of an inch, and then I drilled a hole every eighth of an inch, and then I hit it with the countersink to create the serrations and then I cut the whole thing down and I ground the whole thing and it worked it worked a guy still has it a lot of work it was a lot of work it was a lot of work and and but it was the only uh, but it was a kind of it did work but um I wouldn't do that again no so fast yeah it it is just a case of having to brace yourself and and go for it but it's far easier than you think it is, I think. I, I found it easier than I thought it was gonna be. I'd set myself up for this big oh here we go here shit and yeah it's, it's not that bad. Yeah, bracing yourself is the move. Yeah, yeah. Okay, who wants to take uh, from Nick Knife NLC? Sure. He says, getting ready to pull tri- pull the trigger on another Broadback and first heat treat oven. I'm looking for, uh, sorry, looking at the LB18. Any recommendations as far as add-ons? Uh, alarm kit, solid state relays, power interior switch, uh, blade fixture, and would you say Ramp Master or Tap Smart Wi-Fi? And I'm, I'll say mm-hmm. he's probably asking this because when you go to Soul Ceramics, it's got all these options on the page. I'm just looking at it right now. Um, mm-hmm. I personally, I have a Tap, um, but I did the. What I didn't. It, it's not even. It's like a step below the Ramp Master because I got mine so long ago. <laughs> and Jeff, probably your first even heat has the same kind of super basic like controller setup. Um, mm. But I, I'm looking at the price point and to add the tap master or whatever the tap master, <laughs> the tap control, the tap smart. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a couple hundred bucks. And if you're already there, you might as well drop that. And it's so nice to have all those controls um, in the touch screen to be able to kind of shift through and and go through the different settings and figure out which one you want to use it's so much easier to use uh and yeah just the frustration you save alone <laughs> i think is worth it over the time over time for sure yeah i think it's like buying a car um the base model is going to get from a to b it's going to do the job sure. um but those extra little sort of comforts that make your life just that you know five percent better um they come at a small cost um so i i'd say you know, spend what you can. Um, but yeah, head on over to Soul Ceramics, um, which is knifetalk.net forward slash heat. You'll get $75 off and you'll get free shipping in the US and you can spec out how you like. Um, I personally have the Ramp Master 2, I think. So mine, mine's, mine's pretty old. Um, and one thing I wish I did have actually was that Tap Smart Wi Fi because when, you know, you can just head off and just get another little task done maybe. And, you know, knowing that you, you, you know, in your pockets it's going to tell you when things are done um but yeah i mean the base model will do is it's, it's not going to perform any better yeah you know your your knife will still be the same but it's just about the, the sort of creature comforts of letting you you know get on with other stuff that kind of stuff 
So the LB stands for long blade, and the the mm-hmm. reason why it's LB is that it is uh, it doesn't have coils in the back, so which is great because that means that it won't overheat. A lot of times, some of those kilns have coils in the back, and if you're pushing, trying to fit that knife in there, sometimes your 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 knife's tip it might get too close to the coil, so it might mm-hmm. be hotter than it would be if you were if there wasn't there. So the LB is the move. The the solid state relay is in all the uh, tap controls, which is awesome. I love the tap controls. Uh, I actually when I go to the Center for Metal Arts, they have a Ramp Master, and every goddamn time I'm there, I have to look at a YouTube video on how to use a fucking Ramp Master because I don't remember. Yeah. I never remember how to do it. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then the, <clears throat> I heard a trick from um, Spence's <clears throat> even heat trick. You know, you have those blade fixtures, those uh, the ceramic blade f- fixtures, not ceramics, like you know whatever fire brick or whatever the little pins the little pins break and what 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 uh he told me a while ago is he said uh uh spence said go get yourself some quarter inch rod some quarter inch stainless steel or something like that and just cut the pins out of that and use that you will never break another one and it fit it fits in those holes perfectly they'll never kind of like shred or decompress decompose or something like that but uh yeah definitely Mm -hmm. do that it's not worth it's like what 150 bucks 200 dollars more it's it definitely it's definitely worth it by a mile yeah okay cool um he's also um gonna get another broad back as well so yeah nice one nice one um justin blauert do you want to take that one Jim? yes hey fellas i got a question for you when looking at a big ticket item for your shop how do you approach the purchase do you grind and save up for it to try to make payments knowing it'll be worth having to improve your workshop productivity? So how do you guys, when you're about to make a big purchase, how do you like, you know, bind yourself up and get yourself ready to spend some moolah? I can easily convince myself oh, yeah. that anything is necessary. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I, I'm a proper idiot. <laughs> um, I th- it's 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 that that cost analysis really, isn't it? You know, will this save me time, and what is my time worth? I suppose that's that's the sensible approach. Um, but if you're a magpie like me and you're just like shiny, shiny, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, you're a dangerous soul. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, for you, I mean, I just got that power hammer. Uh, and that definitely costs a pretty penny. And we just, mm. uh, the, the guy, like I said, uh, Chris Rowley, great dude. He only lives, his, his shop's like 10 minutes from mine. Uh, he was very flexible. He's like, look, like I, I'm happy to help like deliver it. We can get in there and you can just make payments, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? I, it just didn't feel right to me. And I don't like operating that way. And for me, while it would have been awesome to get the hammer in sooner than later, um, I, it felt better to me to save that money up and then, and then just pay him all in full, and uh, and then get a hold of the hammer. Um, I, I try to work without accruing debt as much as possible. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but um, but yeah, as, as much as possible, I try to avoid any debt. It's it's funny because I hate spending money. I hate sure. it, and um, I. Uh, I usually what happens is is we, we we grow and a lot of that is because my business partner loves spending money and he'll say to me if it's if it makes if it can work for you make your life easier just get it and I'm usually I'm I go back and forth with it all so what happens is is um, I'll I'll like I had before I was involved with Broadbeck I had one grinder and I was like it would be nice to have two and then I got the second one and it did it did help. 
it did help with productivity and get starting to kind of like rationalize certain paint buys and stuff like that and seeing where we're at with money and making sure we're good for the future. And now it's usually like, I'm far more interested in, um, down the line stuff and, and thinking about that and, and being, being careful when I buy something, cause I really would rather spend the money on labor. Like I would rather make sure that me and the whole crew, I got five, four, including me, there's four on the payroll. I would prefer rather to make sure everybody's good. And then you start to think about, well, we'd be saving some money if we, you know, fix this, or we save some money if we paid for that. And towards around Christmas time, when we got to make sure we have some, we send some, spend some money so we can, you know, get a little bit of a tax write off. I'll buy, I'll purchase something like this Christmas, mm-hmm. right before the new, right before the uh, the new year. I got a new, another Tormac, and then I also got a, a milling machine and a small milling machine. And I didn't break the bank, but it was like good expenses of things that I needed that would make the job better. And it's like, once you have those things that make your life better, you're just like, why did I wait so long is really what it comes mm. down to. And the number yeah. one thing is the, is the kilns. Kilns and grinders are like, you will, when you get a new grinder, you get a new kiln, you'll say to yourself, why did I fucking wait so long? Mm-hmm. I'm so yeah. stubborn. You know, you yeah. realize. And I think the thing is, if you buy, let's say, a second grinder or a second kiln, it's not going to make you twice as, twice as productive. Um, but it could make you just a little bit more efficient. So you can do more, but, you, you know, you've only got two hand, pairs of hands at the end of the day. But you'd be able to do more, and whilst things are being done, you can do other little tasks as well. It Yeah, it, it does just make sense. Um, and we can save you money. If you're buying a new grinder, guys, what can they do? You get, a, get yourself a Broadback. Broadback yeah, Ironworks makes a 2x72 grinder that's dynamite. Dynamite. goes. Uh, it goes horizontal, goes vertical, great attachments. And what they have is they're having a couple things going on. So if you put in Knife Talk 200, you get $200 off their grinder packages. You put in Knife Talk 100, you get $100 off their sharpening systems. Now, there's a Blade Show promotion for the Texas Blade Show that's going through... It's going from uh, March 17th through the 26th. If you buy the Max package, you get a $250 gift card for the website, for Broadbeck. If you get the premium package, you get a $300 gift card, and you get the mega package, you get a $400 gift card. Uh, and that, that is to be used at uh, Broadbeck Ironworks. So definitely go get yourself one of them uh, Broadbeck Ironworks grinders. Check out what they have. Uh, Vince and the guys are the best, and uh, we love them. So but back, cool. to, back to what we were talking about. I remember uh, when I was a fabricator... You would have a grinder with, you know, you have a core, you know, right angle grinder community. I'm with you. But it was so dumb to just have one because you'd have like a rock on one and then you'd have a cutoff disc on one and then you'd have a, you have to change to a mm. sanding disc mm-hmm. and then change to a wire yeah. wheel. So I got to the point where I would have four. I would have four or three. Probably th- well, all right, magpie <laughs> you, you fucking magpie. I would have th- like three. One with a cutoff wheel, one with a grinding disc, and one with a wire brush. And just the being able to kind of not have to, like, change shit out all the time was such a monumental time save that it was just like, why don't I just get another grinder? And, and you'd have, like, four. Like, four of them, dedic- each one was dedicated to a certain thing, and all of a sudden, that also works with other things in your shop. So Yeah. Drill presses. Drill presses. Really grind, having grind, yeah, I, got a, yeah. I got four grinders now. Everyone has a different Ooh. detachment on it. I know. I heard Super you. Fancy. I heard you. 
Well, everyone is a different yeah. different attachment, and it saves me from having to switch out the arms. And you know, I can go down the line. There's one to one. I learned from from Doghouse Forge. There's one video he used to do where he's dancing and singing and going from one grind. Oh, I had all four grinders going on. He go one, two, three, different grits on each belt. And I was like, I was like, I want that someday. I'm yeah. gonna do it now. And I fucking <laughs> love it. Are you kidding me? On skates. Oh, are you yeah. kidding me? It's the best. <laughs> okay, Benjamin. I think it's Anglongni, I think. Benjamin Ang, or Benjamin, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> can I ask you a question? I've been making knives for about five years. I want to start doing stainless knives um, as soon as I get a heat treatment oven. Uh, he says, cue the even heat read. Uh, the question is, stainless can stainless be forged? And if so, what are the differences uh, to forging carbon steel? Everything I've been able to find says it's not worth, uh, but the forging is my favorite part of the knife making. So what's your opinion on this? Uh, and do you have any suggestions of what types of stainless to use if I want to give it a shot? Uh, he's a big fan of the show. Morocco, um, forging stainless, any tips? Uh, yes, be very careful. Uh, a temperature-controlled forge is ideal. Uh, because you have a very, very narrow range that you want to work within. And it's actually a cooler range uh, than carbon steel because of the extra alloy elements that make stainless stainless. Um, because of those extra alloy el elements, it actually brings the melting temperature down in that material, especially if it's a high carbon stainless. Uh, those both exacerbate that issue. Uh, and so steels like damaged steel are actually ideal. People forge uh, at like... ABL and and uh, 154CM and other stuff. I've seen people forge 44C, um, and I think part of the potential issue with those is the growth of carbides. Uh, and the mills, when they're making these steels, they do a lot. They put the steel through very careful and uh, like temperature cycles and, and milling processes to help break down those carbides and reduce the size of those carbides as much as possible, so that once it's rolled out and forged down to a plate that it's ready to go all you have to do is cut it out uh or stock remove it whatever and grind it heat treat it you're good to go any kind of af after that though any kind of extra excess heat you add to it or put that steel through especially through forging and this is more like 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 i said uh 154 cm uh abl 44c any of those kind of like those support for this podcast and the following message come from corient corient provides wealth management services centered around you they focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully preserve their wealth and provide for the people causes and communities they care about as one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Those steals, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they, the, those carbides get an opportunity to start growing because those alloying elements attract those, the carbon within that material and start growing those carbides. And those carbides are incredibly difficult uh, to break down. They either have to be broken down through very slow, very, very slow controlled cooling processes or from... Um, very careful, uh, like forging and reducing process. And it's not just the typical forging. It's like, they have to be reduced. If you ever, if you can find videos online, they go from a billet on one end through a series of rollers, not a single roller, but a series of rollers of like sometimes upwards of six or seven rollers where they're reducing it from maybe a couple or three inches down to about a quarter inch at the end. And they are mat. So that's a massive reduction. That's a lot of stress on the material. Uh, it's done very quickly and it helps break down those carbides. Anytime you forge those kind of materials, uh, especially non-particle metallurgical made stainless, those carbides will grow. So if you do want to forge, you want to forge with something that is uh, a particle metallurgical steel. And that is because the process of how the, uh, the CPM is made and honestly, um, or sorry, the powder metallurgical steels are made. It'd be great to maybe have a pair on here to help explain that process a little bit better. But basically when the, the steel is in a molten state, it's process to where it's basically it's uh it's in a oxygen free environment and they blast the steel as it flows through and it turns into these uh, like billions of these tiny little micro uh ingots um that are like the size or smaller actually probably than a grain of sand and then they compress all of these through uh, isostatic controlled pressing um and and then they roll, and then that becomes a solid billet, and then they forge it out, whether it's through hammering or rolling. But because it's in those, and, and actually Damon Steele explains it a bit on their website through some of their videos and some of their blog posts or articles talking about the materials and how that helps keep those carbides from expanding because it's, they're kind of, all those elements are trapped within all these kind of individual uh, ingots micro ingots that are then pressed and forged together and and so it kind of limits this the growth of the carbides so it allows you to be able to forge that material um it is a big pain in the ass though it is very difficult it does not move very nicely uh and again it's a, a lot of it has to do with those alloying elements especially the chromium high chromium content steels do not like to move very easily 
Um, but with some practice, with the right tools, uh, especially a power hammer, um, you can definitely forge the material. Uh, if you buy the bar sock, you can definitely forge it as well. But again, it comes back to making sure that you're working within the right temperature range. Because even if you get a little bit over, and it's hard, to, you can't just read it by eye. Uh, you need to have a thermocouple in there reading that temperature. Because if you go over by 50, 50 degrees, um, you're going to start, the, the material is going to start experiencing partial melting along the grain boundaries. And the second that starts, the material's trash. And trust me, I've, I've I know this from experience because <laughs> when I first got some damasteel, they sent me round bar stock to forge blades from, and uh, I, I probably burned up at least a thousand, maybe a couple thousand dollars worth of material pretty fucking quickly. And um, and so and that was because I was being a smartass and thought I could just judge it by eye, and it was after getting a thermal couple in there and judging. Uh, using that to help find the different temperature zones within the forge. After that, I was able to successfully forge out a blade from Damasteel. Um, and, and so that's what I use now whenever I do any uh, stainless forging, um, is using a thermocouple to keep track of that temperature. Um, so, yeah. So in, in short, it's fucking yeah. hard. <laughs> it's a big you know pain what? The, you know what's so great about you, fucking Craig? You and I were racing to the finish line of like, I was gonna do. I was gonna. Say, I was gonna say. In conclusion, you're fucked. We were both. <laughs> we were both running to the finish line of the same goddamn thing. It's so funny. One thing is but, real quick. One thing what? real quick is we had Laren Thomas on, and one thing that I, I caught from what he was saying was that stainless steel is hard because um, when you're when it's cooling down, it also has a it air hardens. So when as it's cooling, if you're forging it as it's cooling down, it might fucking harden when you pull it out of the forge. So you got to be real careful on on annealing very slowly, yeah. So it doesn't like very you know, blow it out. So yeah, and all that yeah. information is on Damasteel's website. They do talk about um, forging re- temperature ranges and how to process it post forging and stuff like that. It's all there. Um, so go check that out. Dharmasteel.se. They're also Dharmasteel Lab on Instagram. Um, go take a look at the kind of stuff people are making with it because always, always special stuff. And if you set up an account um, and when you get to checkout, use Knife Talk, you'll get 10% off the order as well. So if you're looking for that sweet stuff, go take a look. Dharmasteel.se. Okay. We have some good uh, listener feedback too. If you want to, oh, if it's if it's good feedback, well, I'm all <laughs> yeah. Left. We have yeah. good feedback, but it, yeah. but I, I still can't. I think it's so funny that Craig and I, you were on this, you and I are on the same page. Like, what kind of dumb joke can we make at the end of this like <laughs> yeah. scientific yeah. explanation of it all? We're both like racing. It's fucking hard. Yeah, we were both, <laughs> you and I were both like a parallel thinking of like, all right, now's the time to make a dumb joke. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to send us a message, uh, listener feedback, dilemmas, uh, why 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 me why me why what is that was happening to me or any of these other bullshit things you go to insta go to instagram follow us on knife talk podcast on instagram the first one comes from feral boy knives we were talking about being flagged and he wrote i had three flag posts that had violated guidelines thanks for the heads up about the account status uh rob mckinnon had sent us in we were talking about um being you know how instagram flags people we were talking about uh, section 230 and you know responsibility and how these companies are now you know being careful on who they recommend so if you go to on your instagram if you go to account and then uh, you go to uh, settings account account status it'll show you what your posts are being flagged 
for being recommended or going against community guidelines, and you can rectify that. So the last thing I want to say about this is I've fucking had it with people saying, I'm being shadow banned. We got to stop that bullshit. It's it's all like science fiction, dramatic <laughs> nonsense. It's no one's being like repelled or sh- you know, I'm being suppressed by the man and he doesn't like me. I don't give a fuck about you, frankly, and he don't give a fuck about your <laughs> you know back alley numchucks you're making, whatever the fuck you're doing. They're trying to cover their own asses legally, mm-hmm. and that's it. No one's being sh- shadow banned by the 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 man is you know, Mark the Metro you know Metro Meta's you know Mark Zuckerberg. Don't just fucking they're trying to cover their asses. So my my hot take you guys, is you might not be that interesting, dude. They don't give a fuck about you. That's right. <laughs> it's not just might be that interesting. Is they don't give a fuck about you. I can see all these fucking nightmakers like I'm personally being shadow banned. These motherfuckers don't know who you are, nor do they care. They just think that you're fucking gonna get them in trouble, and they're trying to make sure they don't get in trouble because you're being foolish. Mm-hmm. And all it comes down to is. People don't know how to can fucking control themselves, nor take responsibility for their actions, and then that's it. And then these companies got to like be like, uh, you know, they got to police themselves. So, yeah. God bless you, uh, Rob McKinnon, for that one. Um, last, we were talking about whether or not uh, I know that we uh, somebody was uh, Papa Hache Axe was asking about heat treating welding rods, and Jesse Lozy Blacksmithing says you guys were talking about welding knife steel in on the episode today when yeah. we need to weld up dies or h13 or six or s7 or 1045 or 4140 we cut off some of the material and we use that for filler rod mm. it heat treats the same and it doesn't show the weld etch i don't see why that would be any different from simple carbon steel so the interesting thing about i mean that's the thing about welding is the difference between fusing and welding, a lot of people you say talk, talk, say fusion welding and something like that. Welding is the addition of, of material, of maiden material. So with like, if you have a, a TIG welder, you're adding, you know, the filler material based on whatever you have. If you're using a MIG welder, you have the spool and then the spool is whatever alloy it is. So if you were to cut off a piece of the material that you're using, I didn't even think about this, and you're giving the same... Um, if you're giving the same filler rod, it would make sense that you could probably do the same thing. Now, obviously, you would probably need to do extra normalizing cycles, or there might be something more to it. But he's suggesting using the same made material as your filler rod is a pretty smart idea, frankly. Well, my take still is that once you've melted any part of the blade material, it doesn't matter what the fuck you're putting in there. You've melted it. That material has now become trash. And right. you want to cut that off. So it actually doesn't fucking matter what you use because you're going to cut that shit away anyways. Right. And it's, but it's also, you know, when you're welding, it's going hotter than the critical temperature. Oh, yeah. Right? It's, it's completely melting the material. Yeah, I mean, so I, it's probably not melting the entire away. bar, but where it's actually welding, it's melting right. that material. So, so that has to be. So removed. you're losing carbon for sure. Yeah. Well, it's not even melting. just. It's. Com- yeah. It's 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 completely worthless. The the portion that has become welded. So that's why you want to cut or grind that material away. So it doesn't matter what you're filling in. Um, if it's part going to become part of a blade, you want to cut that shit off because you do not want that on your finish knife. But welding to a tang, it's not a big deal. Um, if the blade's already been hardened, or even if the blade hasn't been hardened, you probably still want to do some sort of heat cycling to kind of temper. Um, that weld because it could become 
like you were just saying, like some steels air harden or they can air quench. And so if you weld some material to elongate a tang, great. But because you're going up, up to that austenic or or higher temperature, um, it could air quench or cool it really quickly and make it more brittle than you want it to be. And so going back in with some heat just in that weld area uh, to kind of temper that back and to toughen that area up will help alleviate an opportunity for that to potentially break somewhere down the road. Speaking of, of, of heating and welding, uh, our friend Chris Zeppieri, Make Everything Shop, took up two pieces of, uh, they have, he had found a broken swage block, swage block, and he welded them together, and he did a video on it, mm. boy. And he said to me, he said to me, he's like, wait, watch the commenters. Uh, yeah, these fucking welders, the goddamn, you know, the these welders came out of the fucking woodwork to tell him what he was doing <laughs> right and wrong, and I was just like, oh, my God, I don't know how you do this shit and dealing with these people. And, he specifically is like, hey, wait, watch this. And he was like, he, he leans it's into like that. It's like he's now. trolling yeah. them. <laughs> There's so yeah. many people who have figured out that leaning into it makes better content. I can't do yeah. it. I mean, honor's the king. Uh, I mean, he stopped yeah. doing that, frankly. He stopped to, you know, using the negative uh, responses and putting them in his stories. I think maybe he had to, I think one of his sponsors, I, I, maybe he's trying to like, you know, jazz it up a little bit, but uh yeah, that whole leaning it in like these pocket welders from, you know, wherever. I've been a welder for 45 years. Nobody gives a shit about you. That's the thing. It's like these fucking guys, they they, they put their resume in a comment section. Yeah. And it's like as if like, oh, the police are here. It's like, fuck you. I don't give a shit about you and your fat ass welding. I don't give a fuck about you. You fucking put a fuck. You can, you can put a fucking bicycle together and all of a sudden now you're like what? You're Mr. M- Mr. Miller? Fuck you. So, yeah, go ahead. Um, okay, well, stick around because we got a very personal question about Morocco's pounding technique <laughs> from Jared from Lexington. Oh All right. Combat Abrasives makes the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at combatabrasives.com and get 15% off with promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now. Do it now. Jared from Legacy Blades. Um, he heard Moreco talking about his new power hammer, and he's, he's very excited about this. Um, did you have to get the floor reinforced to support all that pounding um, <laughs> of that thing? Uh, I talked to a guy once who said you need a minimum of 30 inches of concrete so the hammer doesn't crack the slab. Um, curious if that's uh, true or not. It depends on the size of the hammer. Um, I think he... Hey, there yeah, we exactly. go. It depends on the size of the hammer you're swinging, uh, and or or stepping on. <laughs> and so, I, I think up to an 88 uh, pound power hammer, or is it 88 kilograms? I'd have to double check. But anyways, you can get away with just putting it on the slab. Uh, they do advise that you put a sheet of plywood underneath it, which is what I got—a sheet of three-quarter inch plywood—and. Um, uh, but, you know, as long as you, I think it's at least a four inch slab, a six inch would probably be more ideal. It should be, I should be fine for sure with my little 55 pound. Um, and, but I, I, I've, I had a buddy, uh, Ian Rogers, Haber Knives. Uh, he had an 88 Anyang and it was just on a sheet of plywood on his four inch slab. And he never had any issues with it. But once you get to a much larger, like if you get to a hundred pound, uh, like I think it's the 110 or something like that. Um, 
you probably want to start thinking about putting a, l- a little bit of a footing underneath it because uh, that'll probably start causing some damage. And not to mention just the like the vibrations that carry through the, throughout the whole floor. Um, so that's what I got. A, a funny story about that is uh, back in the day, I had left the Center for Mental Arts and, and Pat Quinn had taken it over. And he had bought a, uh, a Nazelle, a beautiful mm. machine, a total beautiful machine, had it delivered and stuff like that. He was kind of, I mean, he had his relationship with the owners were whatever they were. And, and uh, you know, the, and I, without going into it, he waited until they went on a, out into, uh, on vacation. And then when they went on the vacation, they, he and his guys fucking cut the floor open and poured a monstrous, a fucking monstrous slap. Sure. And then laid the whole thing. I was visiting when he did that, and I was just like, oh, the Max on a row isn't here. He's like, yeah, she's on vacation. I'm not going to ask her. I'm fucking just cutting to the floor. And he made this huge, big production just to mount his thing, but it was hilarious because he was just like, I, I don't want to ask. I'm just going to. I'm going to do it. And he did it. Sure. He did a great, great job. Well, uh, larger hammers like that, you kind of have to pour your own foundation because a lot of them, the anvil is separate from the body where mine's a fully self-contained, like the anvil and the body are all one piece, or I guess that's, that's called a one piece, right? Um, but self, it's a self-contained. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the bigger hammers, the anvil, uh, or the bottom part of the hammer is separate from the body. Um, and you, you kind of, and sometimes it, like the nasal that they have at Dragon's Breath Forge, like the body rests at on the floor, but the anvil set down like two or three feet lower because of the size, like be, just because of the amount of work and, and, and it needs that bottom half support, um, mm-hmm. on the bottom end. So yeah, at that point you kind of have to pour your own slab or footing for it. And I I misspoke when I self self I believe self contained is is because they're air hammers and the, the compressor is in the unit. I think mm. that's kind of more along the lines of what a self contained hammer is. So I I before I get fucking chirped at. Oh boy. Fine. Just calm down, everybody. Calm, calm down. down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or you could be like, uh, do you remember uh, who was who was who was that guy? Um, he's out in California. Uh, he was a he was a blacksmith. I don't think he's been doing it for a long time. He had a twenty five pound little giant. He had on a wheels. Remember I'm talking about his name was Tyler Taylor. God, his name escapes me right now. But he was um he had a uh a I don't know, it was a twenty five pound little giant or fifty pound little giant okay. on wheels, and he would videotape himself like slow, you know, like speed. Uh and then he'd be forging and the goddamn thing was rolling around the <laughs> rolling around the shop while he was working it. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot his name, god damn it. That uh, fucking sucks, but that was really funny. He called it Taylor Swift because it moves all over the place. <laughs> Okay, what are we going to do? More questions? We got that or we get more feedback. I like the next question from Brian Hunt, if you guys want to do that. Yep, go for it. Uh, I was asked to make a push. This is from Brian Hunt. Uh, I was asked to make a push dagger for a friend who's a local police officer. I made it, and was a, it was a fun build, but now I've had other people ask me to make one. I'm not super comfortable about making something that can be used as a weapon for anything, for anyone other than an active police officer. What's your take on making pieces like that? Not that a police officer should be using fucking push knives. I mean, no, I mean, come on, Jesus for fuck's Christ. sake! I mean, you know, let's let's back it off a little bit. Uh, uh, I, if it's something that's intentionally to hurt people, um, no. But um, you know, people collect all sorts of shit, and uh, I, I don't know. It's it's difficult. Yeah, I think you got to. 
It depends on the person, not the knife. So whoever's putting the order in, I know you may not know them from Adam, but you get you maybe you get a feeling from them. Maybe I don't know, but um, it's not something I'd make anyway. But if that's the, the sort of line of work that you're into, um, I think you've got to do a guilt-free, really. Otherwise, you'll you'll never sleep again. You know, um, yeah. I said it's not the kind of thing I do anyway. But um, but if you do. You just gotta let it go. Take the money and and, and uh, let it go. I'm <laughs> Look sure. Look at you. Look at you. Take the money and Take run. Take the money and run. What do you think, Marekko? Uh, I mean, I th- I would assume that most police departments have. Now, I'm sure there are some who don't, but have some sort of checks and regulations about what kind of equipment you can keep on you. You can't just bring in your own guns to use. From what I've seen, the police aren't regulated over there at all. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> well, all right. We, we salute you, police. And we're back to blue here. Blacks, well, I'm, I guess I'm Craig. speaking on. Black's Craig safe, sitting safely in France. <laughs> F- fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. We're here. We're for, we're for, we're pro police over here. Jesus Christ. Give me trouble. But, um, yeah, I, w- I would guess that technically they're probably not supposed to be carrying their own knives. It has to be something that's either approved or some sort of issue or something like that. And so I probably wouldn't be too concerned about them carrying um, a push dagger on them because that's probably not what they're supposed to be using in any form of self-defense. But I could be completely wrong. I don't fucking know. I'm not a police officer. That's just my assumption and my guess. Um, So I, I, yeah. But going back to what Craig was saying, you you have to feel comfortable or or have a, a clear conscience when you're doing it. If you don't feel good about it, then... Then don't do it. Well, let's just make that. Let's let's just come to the conclusion that maybe this police officer. It's not that the police officer wanted to have it on him. It's okay. just that he wanted it. And then you make those assumption. Well, this guy knows the law. Maybe he can have it, and that's fine. Sure. I have no police officers who carry knives that are on them that are against the rules in New York City. Like New York City, mm-hmm. you can't have assisted assisted knives at all. You can't have anything that. You have to. You you're you're in good shape if you have a lockback knife. That's like you have a finger. You can open it with two hands. If you can open the knife with one hand, that's verboten in New York City. But I know plenty of police officers who carry assisted knives in New York City. So, it, it, you know, it's like little bullshit ticky tack things. Um, yeah, it, it's the whole knife and what's right and what's wrong is it was a weird situation because I mean most crime a lot of crimes that are done in passion or anything like that are just like the standard knife that all three of us make. Yeah, you know, like the chef knife, <laughs> most readily is, available thing. Right, I mean it's the most readily yeah, available close, crime yeah. of passion or whatever. Or like a you know you 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 hear that the news refers to everything as a butcher knife to make it seem a little bit more <laughs> grotesque. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like you know you pick your poison. Um, if you don't feel comfortable making it, don't make it. I mean, that's easy. I mean, that's some easy bullshit. Uh, I actually just started. I've been talking. When I was talking to Jason Knight and thinking about my old man, I talked, told a story about my dad had a kukri. You know, that's the first long knife I ever held was my dad's kukri that he brought back from um, India when during World War II, and and uh, I never got it. And uh, I, I thought always thought that I'd make one. And after talking to, you know, I, I'm making one. I got a piece of Apex Ultra that I got from. Uh, uh, knife material.at sent me a nice piece of apex ultra and i'm i'm making it based off of actually a lure shape that i made which is kind of weird like mm-hmm. i'm making this kind of like sculptural thing and i don't see this as being something to sell like, it's like i feel like i'm doing something based on my history with my dad's knife and all this that other thing and making a sculpture and i might make a, a lure sheath and make it more like a sculpture and stuff like that 
And the thought of not, the, th the thought is, is I'm not planning on being in the kukri business. This is like a kind of a sculpture that I'm going to make for myself. Yeah. And I thought, why am I going to be starting to sell kukri? If I, if I like making them, would I start selling them? And the really, the thought is, is no, frankly, it's not really something mm -hmm. that I want yeah. to do. And, and, but at the same time, it's like, you got to weigh those things out in terms of what you're planning on doing. Obviously, I'm going to make this thing and I'm going to get a fucking, you know, AZ is going to beat my brakes in. AZ and Tony are going to call me up and they'll be like, we got to make more of these. And I'm going to have to like, well, I'm going to have to have like a, some sort of conversation with them. But you have to, uh, it's a personal decision, really. Yeah. 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 Make what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. Or go to knifeprint.com and you can design the, what the hell you like. <laughs> Jeez, you can render it in 3D. You can see exactly what it would look like. Um, and if you wanted, you'd even get it printed out. So they'd send you a, uh, a laser cut or a water jet uh, cut. You pick the stock. You pick the, uh, the thickness that you want. Um, and they'll send it out to you. But knifeprint.com is great for sort of realizing those those knives that you've got in your mind. You can design them. If you've never done any sort of CAD before, super, super simple. They've got a whole education center there, which will show you how to do it. It's made specifically for making knives. Um, so they've got special tools in, in the CAD stuff there. Um, no licensing, nothing to download, all done in the browser. Go take a look at knifeprint.com. I do have one feedback that might be interesting for conversation if you want to do it. Yeah, let's do it. This yeah. is, once again, from our friend uh, Ben over at EDC Gearhouse, and he says, uh, here's some feedback. Um, in the most recent episode, Craig's Hot Take mentioned custom knives or knives being a luxury item. I feel personally that that wasn't accurate. Luxury items are yachts, Louis Vuitton bags, Ferraris. A small batch of knives or high-end knives are more disposable income purchases, in my opinion. Like, quote, Oh, my bills are paid. I'm going to swap, snag this sweet knife up I've been wanting. Nobody says, okay, cool. I'll pay, the, I'll pay my T-Mobile bill, then I'll buy this Bugatti now. If I'm buying a custom knife, it's luxury because it's more than a $12 KitchenAid knife. The same can be said for every other purchases we all buy, right? Thanks for everything. Looking forward to meeting whoever can make it to Blade Show this year. So the question of what is luxury, guys? What's luxury to you? I mean, Craig, it's like, I mean, you know. Salud. Excuse me. Salud. Excuse me. What is this, Excuse the work me. for a podcast? Did I hear, you, did I hear you yell bullshit <laughs> there in the middle of that sneeze? Yeah. No, this is no, like the no. work for a I... podcast where we have like fart noises and we're drinking, <laughs> we're sipping. It's like, it's the eat fort podcast or the bar or the, yeah. or the sneeze fort podcast. It's Brian's birthday today. Is by it? The way. Happy birthday, well, happy Brian. Birthday, yes. Brian, yes. Brian House. 63. <laughs> old fucking guy. That haircut. <laughs> you got the haircut and those glasses. <laughs> Looking good. Looking good, big boy. <laughs> um, when does it become luxury? I Personally, I think if it's not essential, it's it's a luxury. And, and I think that's a sliding scale. It's different for everybody. Um, you know, what people see as essential is different for everybody as well. Um, so, yeah, if it's something that you, can, you could do without, and this is purely... Um, as as an extra that you don't specifically need to go about your day-to-day -day, you know life i think i personally i'd say that was a luxury you have to now um, we're going to hand it over to Morocco, and then you're going to think craig of give me some examples of what you in your life is a luxury oh okay Morocco, okay. what's your opinion on luxury i uh, i mean i think that most custom made knives are a luxury because because the commercially made knife the the, the yeah, the commercially made knives that are available to us can do the work that we need. 
which at the most basic mm. form is cutting shit, right? Um, you know, you can get some pretty decent knives off Amazon or from, you know, the local store for less than a hundred dollars. Um, actually pretty easily for less than a hundred dollars, um, that will do the work that you need. And I think by having something handmade, um, even if it's a super basic, it still becomes a luxury item because you can find that thing very easily for very inexpensive and to have it handmade it's like going and getting a pair of you know work boots i can go to target and get a a, a fine or whatever a decent pair of work boots for like 60 bucks or i could go to a cobbler and pay 300 dollars or 400 dollars to have a pair made that is a luxury um you know i i might have to pay over and over again over the years <laughs> you know for the target boots but if that's where i'm at financially like and well, I don't even think it has to do with finance. It's just like, if that's what I want to do, then that's what I want to do. And I think, you know, once we, even if we're making these knives, if I was making just a straight carbon steel, super basic knife, it still requires the skill, the time, the attention of a highly accomplished person to be able to do a very good job making that thing. And that's going to cost. And but again, people aren't just buying the basic tool. If somebody wants just something that'll cut, they can just go to the fucking Ross and buy, you know, whatever, whatever their slogan is, save, spend less, get more, save less, whatever. <laughs> um, but, hmm. but what they're really buying when they buy a knife from me or from either of you guys or anybody else is also that, that ability, that to tell that story or have that connection to that thing. Just especially if it's a custom made knife, be like, I had this knife custom made to my specifications. Even if it's something as simple as I picked out the blue handle scales or whatever the fuck, right? They still had a hand in it. Mm. And, 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 and they're also, it's part, you know, the story of the connection with the maker and, and better understanding of how knives are made and, and kind of all like you're, you're buying into that. And then like the depth of the history of, of smithing and tool making when you buy a handmade thing. And so you're buying more than that. And that, that is to me, that is luxury. That is luxury. That is a luxury thing. It's not essential. Yeah. Like Craig was saying. Yeah. yeah. I think what you just said about connection and story is massive. Because I think everybody's sort of craving that and always looking for some sort of connection or story in, in anything, not just in purchases. But, I mean, we can distill this right down to sort of outside of knives. You go to the supermarket. Virtually anything you can buy, you know there's going to be like a, a supermarket-owned brand version of that. But we're all sort of conditioned to sort of think that this wouldn't be as good as something that you'd pay a little bit more for. And we we consider that to be a sort of a luxury or more a sort of luxurious brand, and I suppose it's all about branding, um, and a lot of it is bullshit. Um, but when it comes to making something with with hands, that gives a connection that I think sort of really sort of relates to most mm -hmm. people. I like that you said there's a sliding scale in luxury because obviously luxury is something that you can do without, right? Yeah. Do I, yeah, I was trying yeah. to think when I read this. I was trying to think of the luxury in my life, and I and I, the first thing that happened I thought of is when I went to go see the Knicks and go to go to a steakhouse and eat a steak and go to the Knicks game. I could make mm. a perfectly good steak at home 
that would be a, yeah. a fucking a ninth of the price. And then I could probably listen to the Knicks game on the radio. And it would, I, but I wanted the experience, and I liked the luxury. I liked the, the service was awesome. It was old-school steakhouse. And it was not something that I do all the time, something I do maybe once a year. But it was a luxury. There are some luxuries that I really want that I cannot afford to do, and I realize that. Like my wife and I, my wife, since our kid has been going to, is getting ready for college, my wife is really enjoying, since we moved in together, you know, 20 plus years ago, she loves baseball because it reminds her of the summer. She likes it on the radio. We always have it on the radio. We, it's, there's some, she loves going to games. She loves sports and stuff like that. And we were talking about maybe we should get the Yankees sports package so we could, it'd be great to watch the games. And she wants to, hmm. when Hillary, when Lila goes to college and we just decide to get another move and get a different house and we want to be able to, she wants a place where we can sit and watch baseball games and stuff like that. But the cost of getting the baseball package is like fucking $80 a month to watch baseball. And it's like mm. we just – we look at it and we're like it's it's a luxury we just refuse to, to, to get. Mm -hmm. And it's this decision of like what's it worth? What's it worth to, to you? What's it worth to me? And it, you have to weigh all these options on luxury. But in the knife game, yeah. I mean, we can fucking. I got I got fucking knives from AG. You can look at AG Russell catalog. They're gonna sell you up. You can you can, you can <laughs> it'll choke you. It'll choke you how many knives they'll sell for fifty nine dollars, and they'll do everything everybody else's knife can do. You got you know it, it's a luxury. We we're, we're making luxury items, whether you like it or not. So yeah, yeah, there you go. yeah. No, I completely agree. Completely agree. I mean, t shirts. I mean, buying t shirts fifty dollars for a t shirt. I mean, it's like. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, clothes is an easy example of luxury, isn't it? You know, you can buy a, a two ninety nine t shirt, or you can buy a three hundred dollar t shirt. Exactly. What are yeah. you? So, yeah. I want to hear some of the luxuries that you have, Craig Lockwood. The luxuries that you know it's a luxury. Same thing with you, Craig. I want to. I want everyone to name off a couple luxuries in their life. Yeah, I mean, they're simple. I mean, I'm just sitting here in a like a purpose built studio with you know guitars here where you know you can buy a guitar for a hundred dollars which will do the job or you can buy a guitar for ten thousand dollars the difference between them is is minimal minimal um but it just makes you feel nice playing something it's re i tell you what luxury is it's, it can be reassuring re reassuringly luxurious yeah. you know sometimes you just think okay this just feels better mm. Um, and it's most of it's psych psychological because you've bought into the story, you've bought into a brand or whatever it may be. Um, but it, it can give you a feeling of contentment of just, yeah, you're reassured by luxury at times. Recco, I know that you're going to buck the system because I know you're going to say that you don't like luxury. There's got to be some luxury in your oh, life. Oh, no, I got luxury. Name off some sure. luxury. Go ahead. Hmm. Let's hear it. Uh, I have like my uni pizza oven. I love the thing. I, it's not essential for me to make pizza. I was making pizza just fine before it, um, yeah. but I love it, and I'm so thankful for it. But it it it, it takes something that I can do on, with you know a basic setup, and takes it to another level. Um, but it's not essential, uh, so that's that's definitely a luxury. I mean, the computer that I'm recording or doing the podcast through, like it's a three thousand dollar computer. But honestly, I could go to Costco and get a four hundred dollar computer and. And basically accomplish the same things using that same that that cheaper computer. Um, although I, if without it, I, I think a computer would be necessary because I couldn't do the podcast without it. Yeah, that's <laughs> not a luxury. Then it's not a luxury. Then um, 
I'm trying to think what else. I mean, just even yeah. the power hammer I just got. Like to me, it's a luxury. It, it I, I don't need it to get my work done. Um, I could do. I could keep working with the press, um, but it's going to help make things uh, help take work off of my body uh, when it comes to actually forging blades. Uh, it'll help with the f Damascus forging and blade forging process in general, um, but it is not essential. Um, yeah. But it's not frivolous. I'm kind of I'm looking for some frivolous. I'm adding on frivolous. Do you frivolous. have any frivolous luxuries? Frivolous. Yeah, because I mean, a power hammer you need it. It's going to make your work better. The computer you need, it's going to make everything you know, the Momasi Fire Arts business better. That's that's not frivolous. I mean, Craig's got fucking guitars at the wazoo for Christ's sake. <laughs> I would say my guitars, but the problem is I didn't spend any money on the all the yeah, all my guitars were hand me downs from my grandfather. So no fucking frivolous. Nothing's frivolous I, in your life. Well, I got that pizza oven. That's frivolous. <laughs> all right, that's it. That's it. That's the only luxury in your life. Uh, I, I shop on the side of the road, or <laughs> pick through pick through dumpsters, get your groceries out of a dumpster. <laughs> Holy mackerel! Yeah. I, I have right, Jeff. You're going to tell us your luxuries, but first, I'm going to tell everybody about. <laughs> it's time for Blade Show Texas, so let's tell everybody about Texas Fire Supply. Um, I'm sure they'd probably be they there as be. well, but they sell everything you could possibly need, as whether you're a knife maker, a blacksmith, a farrier, whatever you are. They've got it all, and especially they have Indasa Rhino Wet, which is a luxury because it's going to save you time, and there's no better luxury than saving time. Um, saving you time, saving you money. Indasa Rhino Wet, it's the shit. Um, they sell it at TexasFarrowSupply.com. Go take a look. Use Knife Talk 10 and get 10% off your entire order as well. Canadian, stick around. We've got an ad for you coming right up. Jeffrey, luxuries in your life. I would say the first luxury I ever had was getting satellite radio. And I love it so much, and I I've been I've had it for years since the beginning when it was XM, and then switched over to Sirius XM. I've had this fucker for years, but it's it's I use it so much. It's on at least I'd say fifteen to sixteen hours a day. I don't think I could live without what? it. I'm using it wow. all the, all day long. It's got different channels for the shop. I bring it home. And we listen to I listen to sports games. I listen any sports game. It has it. Any I listen to everything. I have it. I fucking have that thing on all the time. I love satellite radio. But you know, could I do without it? Of course. But it it it, it enhances my life dramatically. You know. Mm. And then if I paid for my one wheel, that would have been a luxury. But it was given to me, so that's not a luxury. <laughs> However, I wanted to get an upgrade, but that would have been a luxury that I said no to. I just yeah. I just learned recently that Dame Helen Mirren is a fan of the one wheel. Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. Who She's a, dude, <laughs> I tell you what, you sent me that video. Helen Mirren in the cook, the thief, the wife, and her lover, naked <laughs> in a goddamn abattoir truck. Maybe feel some things back in the day. Maybe feel some fucking <laughs> some, things. Some things. Maybe feel a couple <laughs> things. Young Damon Helen Mirren. Maybe feel a fucking couple things. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> I, I'll add to my frivolities. I do have a subscription to Spotify, so I don't have to listen to advertisements. Okay. Yeah, I suppose that's a luxury. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have way too many forging hammers, which are a luxury. Way too yeah. many. See, look at us living our luxe life. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
Canadians and anybody else out there, really, uh, MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, that's the place for all your stuff. They're Canadian distributors of combat abrasives. They sell rhino wet tune, rhino stick, steel belts, handle materials, tools, forges, kilns, and more. They've got it all. They've always got a special deal where if you buy 10 packs of belts, you get 10% off. Um, good guys, MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Go take a look. Should we do one more question, then head out the yeah. door? Let's have a look what we got. Um, I'll tell you what, let's start from the bottom. We all start from the top. Let's start from the bottom. Now we're here. Uh, Starting from the bottom and now we're here. Yeah, we've just Nobody done that one. That's um, fucking what I'm talking about. Somebody in the podcast, somebody's listening and saying, started from the bottom, now we're here. That's a song. Never mind. Yeah, okay. All right, there you go. Okay. Um, quick question. This is from Speedster Knives. Quick question. In the last episode, Mareko mentioned using old-fashioned style paper guillotine to cut rhino wet. Um, have you ever had to sharpen the blades? I have not. I got that thing secondhand. Not a luxury. <laughs> I got it for I got it for six dollars <laughs> at the uh, state. Sir, I guess a lot of it is a fucking luxury. You could have used scissors. That's, true. that's a, I could use the edge of a metal table. Um, <laughs> so, yes. or even a bar of steel. So, uh, yeah, I got it for six bucks. I've been using it for fucking six, oh no, yeah, like six years now. No problems. I've never had a problem with it. I'm sure I'll have to sharpen it someday. Um, but right now, things are going great. I got you beat on cheap. I okay. never in my mind did I think that I'd beat you on cheap. I found mine on the side of the road. Nice. I beat you. I saved you, six dollars. Road, roadside shopping is not dumpster diving pays off sometimes. <laughs> but one thing those one thing I would say is 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 and I've been using mine forever. I love it. I love those paper cutters. When you start to use it for sandpaper, uh, don't fucking think you're gonna cut a nice crispy piece of paper, boy. Those are the things that are gonna cut my, anything else. So I have not tried to uh, sharpen mine either, and I could give a fuck because I'm not gonna use it for yeah. anything other than cutting my rhino. Away. Yep. Yeah, but that's the trick. Cut that rhinoette into strips, and you, yeah, be well mm-hmm. and hit some fucking put some tape behind it. If you don't want, if you're hand sanding uh, like your handle, and you don't want it to rip on you, put a little bit of duct tape behind it, and then you got a little bit something special to hold on to. Look at that. Tips to the bitter Look end. You go. Thank you all for listening. We should speak to you again next week. Bye for now. Okay. <laughs> After show time, right? yeah, in there, it sounded like you're like, bye for now. <sighs> <laughs> I was looking for the intro, but the music, that, but I couldn't find it. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, what's been going on? What's been going on? I tell you what, I've been watching. Um, Netflix had this new, like, survival show. Um, God, what's it called? I can't think what's called. Outlast. Uh, Outlast. Have you no, seen it yet? No. I have time to watch shit. Oh, it's like one of those, it's, you know, that thing where they dump everybody somewhere and they're in Alaska for this first season and whoever lasts the longest, you know, it's one of those things. Um, But you can only win, it's a million dollars up, um, but you can only win in a team. So they, I think they drop like 16 people there to start and um, everybody makes their sort of alliances and they get into little teams and all that kind of thing. Um, but they play dirty. They play really dirty, especially the women. Oh man, interesting. It's, it's really good. Yeah, it's. I think I think there's like six or eight episodes, and um, I watched them all. Um, then my wife watched them all separately because we've been taking turns like to the night shift mm. for the baby, and um, oh, it's really good. Really, really good. Far better than just you know like alone where they you know they're on their own. 
being in a team, you get all these different dynamics and all the psychology going on. It really, really. I appreciate you for so many reasons, but one is is you like to watch these toil shows, sitting like little Lord Fauntleroy, (laughs) fucking (laughs) from your your fucking couch, (laughs) sitting there judging those four fucking assholes in their dirt and their muck, and you're sitting there in your PJs on that fat couch, shoving stuff in your mouth, saying, "This is a great show." <laughs> well, let's not forget this is four a.m. and I've got a shitting baby like throughout the night, and I'm not sleeping. This is this is an easy yeah, life, know. you know. This really no, isn't. I know. But um, <laughs> honestly, watch it. It's really, really good. The last few episodes are just like what? Oh, really I have good. To check that out now. Did yeah. you guys see the yeah, Chris the... Rock show? I did. No. Did you see it? Mario? I did. So Chris Rock did. God damn, God, this fucking guy is so smart. He did his live, a lot, the first ever live Netflix show on last Saturday. Oh. I think it was last Saturday. Was it two, last Saturday or two Saturdays ago? Interesting. Two Saturdays ago, I think. It was, it was a, live, and a live thing? It on was Netflix? live. They, oh, interesting. Netflix is starting to do live. Okay, I didn't know that. I, I just thought it was one of his they specials. They did it live. It live thing. They did it live. Oh, wow. And then they redid it. He actually kind of fumbled a joke, and he even set, talked about fumbling a joke on it. Um, and yeah. he addressed the Will Smith shit at the end. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what would you now? Now, just Mareka, what would you think that he would do? What do you mean? After a year of oh. being slapped, so last last year, the Academy Awards, and it was virtually a year to the day as well, well wasn't it? He, it was like Oscar time. Led up to the Oscars. It was a, it was a week before yeah. the Oscars. Mm. So he he's Chris Rock. If you don't know, Chris Rock was on stage. He sees Will Smith in the front row with his wife, Gata Pinkett Smith makes a nothing joke about the fact that she had short hair. And he says, oh, look, G.I. Jane. It was a Demi Moore movie about a woman being a Navy SEAL. Made a G.I. Jane joke. Chris Ro- uh, Will Smith comes up, walks up on stage, slaps him on stage, and then sits back down. It was very shocking. And then he yells, you know, don't keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Out of your fucking mouth. So yeah. a year later, what do you think he did? Uh, I made more jokes about it. I don't know. <laughs> you you would you would think that a, somebody would after keeping your mouth shut for a year that you'd take the high road. He did not take he the high road. Him. <laughs> he buried him. He fucking him. <laughs> I mean, he beat the brakes off of the both of them. Yeah. Beat the living yeah. brakes off of the both of them a week before the Oscars. Nice. It was and very clever not to like all year not to say a word. I'm I'm sure he, you know Oprah, everybody was calling, oh, yeah. I'm sure, you know, do interviews and all that, and he didn't say anything. So it was like he started this this special, and um, he didn't really mention it. He, there's a few little, you know, off-the-cuff yeah. little remarks about it. But you're like, everybody's like, is he going to say anything? Is he going to say anything? And he waited at the last, I think it was like eight or nine minutes, and he just, yeah, he ripped the Band-Aid off and went for it. Mm. It, was, it, was, it was good. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, throughout the thing, he would say, I don't need another rapper mad at me. Exactly. Yeah, they were little, little. Yeah, you know. So he spent the last. It was the last ten minutes. You can catch the last ten minutes on the last ten minutes. Is the only part worth it, frankly. And some of his bits were pretty good. He he had a bit about, um, you know, about social media, and he said, "I'm not ruining it for anybody." But he said, "You know, used to be when I was younger, we we were doing things for love, and now people are doing things for likes." That was very clever. But then, yeah, and I won't say any uh, of the jokes that. Chris Rock, but he fucking beat the living shit out of the both of them to the point where yeah. I guess Will Smith was humiliated. 
he was humiliated. He had there was a, a note saying something where he, somebody from his camp said he was embarrassed and he was humiliated and you know radio silent because it was just like shocking. And I think he's furious with Netflix most likely because Netflix Probably, allowed yeah. him to do that. And I think he does shit with Netflix. But does he? Yeah, he does. All these guys, they you know Netflix is throwing money at all these guys. He did uh, he did that yeah, show. Yeah. <sighs> Bright. That was a good one on Netflix where oh, he yeah. was like, it was like, um, he was a cop with, uh, you know, it was like a Lord of the Rings in the real world and he was partner was like a goblin or something like that. It was like, but, a uh, work, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he, God, that sounds, that sounds shit. <laughs> it was actually good. It was good. It was good. I saw it twice. It was actually great. It was like uh, training day, but like science fiction training day. Yeah. It, was, it actually was fucking oh, awesome. Geez. It was fucking awesome. Jeez. But, um, but you know what I did find with the Chris Rock thing was I'd I loved all his older stuff and made, you know it's got to be difficult for a comedian now in this this current climate because you know they got to be very careful what they say and um, I just found that he was slow he was like an old man he, you know he's repeating himself just to like drag the time out as if he had sort of like thirty five minutes of content he's trying to drag out for an hour you know it it seemed like that to me and he was. I don't know. He, he he seemed to lost that sort of sharpness and that sort of quick edge that he had. I think the expect your but, expectations were a little bit high. Probably, mine too. Probably. I think mine too. I mean, his last shows yeah. were like dynamic. Mm. You know, yeah. interesting. Yeah, but it yeah he fucking he fucking tore up Will Smith and Shada Smith. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he tore yeah. them the fucking pieces. He tore them the fucking pieces. So yeah. that was pretty wild. And that was the best the best thing he could have possibly done. Kept quiet about it all year. You would have been paid so much money for this special as well. And then just, it yeah. It seemed just, so just leave it fucking all out petty, too. It was like, that was the best yeah. part. It was the pettiest shit. But it was very clear that, like, comedians should not be slapped for the things that they say. So course, he a motherfucker yeah. got to pay. And he paid. Yeah. He fucking paid. It was humiliating. Mm-hmm. Like, totally yeah. humiliating. So it was good. Uh, Right, let's let's call it a day. Um, anybody hasn't seen it, go and watch the Chris Rock special. We shall speak to you next week. Bye for now. Bye bye. That was okay, good. We had to stop. Let's, Great let's hit stop on this a sec because let's just make sure. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.